0: Well, good morning, everyone. What a great way to uh, kind of end that time and just reflect. Uh, we are actually in a, in a series right now in, through the parables in the book of Luke, and we're calling this uh, The Storyteller and it's Lessons at the Feet of Jesus. So really that posture of saying, what, you know, we want to learn from, we want to sit with our God, we want to be transformed by who He is. And I sometimes think of what it must have been like for the f- disciples to actually me listening to Jesus teach and how much power He taught with, and how much conviction. And actually, really, Jesus' teaching was very revolutionary and controversial in some ways. It was new. It was changing things. And and so we want to use this time, this series, to try to put ourselves at the feet of Jesus and listen to the stories and and allow that truth to change and transform us. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Book of Luke, chapter twelve. We're going to be there in just a moment. And uh, before we go on, I do want to take just a moment, and I want to recognize a a group of some guys um, who have been with us this summer. Um, uh, There's a lot who uh, were in first service, and there's a few of them here for second service, but um, you may have noticed, maybe you haven't if you've been around Seacoast, but there's, there's a group, I don't know how many, about 12 of you here at Seacoast, how many of you guys, 14, something like that. Um, ish, just like our mission team, I don't know, somewhere. but um, they're uh, from, most of them are from University of Colorado, one from Baylor, and, uh, but they are here, and they are part of a summer discipleship program, and not only do they just come and uh, participate here at Seacoast with us, but they jump in and serve, and I know our kids ministry absolutely love these guys, because they were filling a lot of holes all summer long and giving some of the regular volunteers a break, um, and so I just want to thank you guys for jumping in and being a part of, of us, so really appreciate all you guys have done and from the tech ministries and, and in with the kids. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I was looking out uh, while teaching, and I saw one of these guys, and by the way, this ministry is particularly uh, to frat boys. I have to say, it, it's frat boys, right? So yeah, so it's a ministry to people in fraternities, and so it was, I was looking out um, during this service, and one of the guys was pushing a double stroller. He's volunteering in the nursery, and, and it was, yeah, it was really cool. It really touched me, and then I thought like, you know, he's onto something. So single guys, let me just tell you something. If, if you're out there pushing a stroller around and taking care of babies say. Frat boy's doing that. He's, he's on to something. I'm just saying, okay, that, that, that's going to be attractive to a lot of ladies. So um, single guys who are part of Seacoast for a long time, there's an opening in the nursery starting next week. <laughs> Highly recommend it. It's great. <laughs> so we do appreciate all that you guys have done. All right, so we are in the book of Luke chapter 12 And uh, today we are going to pick it up in verse 13. I'll, I'll go ahead and read through this parable, and then we'll break it down. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. And Jesus said to him, Man, who's appointed me judge or arbitrator over you? And then he said, then Jesus said, Beware, and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And then Jesus told him a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, 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 You have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry, rejoice. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own all that you've prepared? So is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. So that's the story that we're looking through here today. Now I know for some of you, you're saying, oh, I can't believe I showed up on the day they're going to talk about money. I knew it. And I want to, before you even go there, I want to tell you that, yes, that might be a little part of it, but actually we're talking about greed today. We're talking about our hearts. We're talking about the posture that we have towards God. And for some of you, this might be a part of financial things in your life, but there's a lot more to it than that. So we want to address our, our hearts today, and that's really what Jesus is talking about. And so we want to dive in and ask, what is this story? Why is Jesus telling this story? Now, again, a couple things about parables. Uh, parables are intended to reveal truth about God at the same time concealing truth. So they're intended to tell a story that you have to ask more questions to kind of dive deeper and to find the deeper truth. And, um, and parables were often uh, a great form of teaching, but Jesus intended them Um, for his disciples to seek out a greater understanding in which they would do. Now parables also are a a genre of literature as well. And so there's some form and structure to them that helps us to understand some of these parables. And the one today actually uh, we'll look at if you're into taking notes and if you have the outline that was handed out, you'll see this is what we call a chiastic um, parable where it starts and it it has a climax in the middle and then parallels directly back the other way. And it's Pretty intentional of how it's structured to get us to the, the main point. So we'll get to that in a moment. But before we go um, and into the structure of it, we need to understand, first of all, the setting. Anytime there's a parable, you want to ask the question, what did the original audience hear? Because these parables were not written for us in fir- uh, 21st century north coastal San Diego therefore a particular uh, group of people at a particular time so the best way to understand is always to put yourself in the back of the crowd and try to ask how did they hear this and what was their understanding so the setting's important and the context so in this context it's jesus he's teaching he's in galilee um, most likely and he's teaching a, a group of people probably mostly jewish Um, in fact, probably all Jewish, most likely, Um, a mix economically of all, it's not just poor, uneducated people, there would certainly be educated and, and just a whole gamut of people, but in the crowd, someone yells out and says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance for me, so here's the context of the parable he's about to tell, and Jesus looks at him, now, first of all, a little bit of understanding, how, why, what is he even asking for, so in their culture, uh, when the parents died, the oldest son would be in charge of the inheritance. And he could divide it uh, when he felt like it was the right time. Now, sometimes it would be immediately, and sometimes it say hey, it's not advantageous for us to do it now or whatever. So there's a couple things that could be happening. One, the older brother has the inheritance and hasn't divided it at all yet. So the younger one's saying, hey, I want my, my piece of the inheritance. The other possibility is in uh, the ancient culture the way they did this is uh, if there were two sons there actually were three portions of an inheritance and the oldest son got two of them and the youngest son got one of them so the oldest son so and, and if there were four there would be five portions so the oldest son always received a double portion now you oldest children see no problem with that biblically right that sounds great but so that was in their culture. It is possible that this, this is the younger son saying, hey, Jesus has been all about fairness. Jesus is about justice. Jesus is talking about compassion. He has this radical new understanding of the law. So he might be thinking, oh, perfect. I'm going to publicly call on Jesus to tell my brother to divide the inheritance to, to make it an equal share. It, it, we don't know exactly, but it could be that. But he's looking for a public opportunity then to put his brother on the spot and get his portion of the inheritance. And so he wasn't necessarily in the wrong asking if, if he hadn't received any, but for some reason he's doing it, he wants this to be a public thing. To which Jesus responds and says, Man, and uh, in Scripture when it's interpreted this way, actually Jesus is not, this is not a respectful um, way of addressing this guy. This is kind of like saying, hey, get back in your place. Who do you think you are? Now, interesting in uh, the Greek language, if he, when Jesus says woman, there's a few times he addresses and uses, that's actually a term of endearment. But when he addresses man, that is not, just so you know. <laughs> so he says, man, who appointed me a judge over you? In other words, I, you misunderstand me. I'm not here for this. I'm not here to, to, to be the judge and to make law in your land. I'm about different types of things. And, and look, look, what are you trying to do? So he puts them in this place. And then he said, so part of the context, then he says, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. So here's where the teaching begins. And in this parable, it begins here with, with this, and he begins with a general principle of life. So he says, be on guard against many forms of greed. And the general principle then, he says, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. So he begins with that general principle, life does not consist of your possessions. Now, he'll end this parable with another general principle. So this is the beginning of the arc for those of you who care about like the literary technique of this. Now, we need to ask a bigger question though. What is the greed? He says, be on guard for many forms of greed or for every form of greed. Because I don't know about you, but if someone says, Ryan, are you a greedy person? I would say, no, I don't think I'm a greedy person. I feel like I live pretty simply, I feel like, you know, I'm a pretty content person, so I, I don't know, greed doesn't seem to be an issue, this is for you this morning, not me, and, and <laughs> but then as I look through this this week and ask the question, what does it mean every form of greed, and there's a few that uh, I think are helpful for us, first of all, I looked up the definition of greed, it's simply this, a desire for more than what is needed, a desire for more than what you need. Now, that's the actual definition of greed. Uh, and that, So it doesn't apply to anyone in America. Um, <laughs> but the other thing that could be helpful is what's the antonym of, of greed, or what are some of the antonyms? Gratefulness, contentment, and fulfillment. And, and so I kind of looked at those and said, what are some of the forms of greed that we need to watch out for? Well, first of all, uh, I went to Exodus chapter 20. This is the Ten Commandments. The Tenth Commandment says... Do not be envious of your brother's or your neighbor's house, or your neighbor's wife, or your neighbor's servants, or even your neighbor's donkeys, which I confess I struggle with all the time. See someone with a nice donkey, and I think, man, if only I had a nice donkey. No. The, the point is, he, he's saying, don't, it starts off with this one uh, one form of greed is, is a greed that's based in comparison. You see, because most of these things in the Ten Commandments, he said, jealous of or covet your neighbor's house, the servants, all these, these are things that probably most of the people had. So he's not saying it's you want something you don't have, it's you want something that you think is better than the one you have. You look at someone's house and say, well, I know I have a house, but that house is better. And, And it's very easy, this kind of greed, this comparison that leads to a greed, it's very subtle. But it's really easy. And this is one that leads us away from gratefulness. We don't look at what we have with gratefulness because we are so focused on what we don't have. And and this one creeps in all the time. I remember when uh, we... uh, we're pretty young in our marriage and had our first kid, and, and we just moved from uh, kind of L.A. area in North County, uh, Orange County, to South County, to Mission Viejo, the first planned community in America. You know, it, it's like everything was manicured, and you have the, your lake, and you have everything, and um, we had one car, but now we had a kid, and we said, we need another car, and so someone said, actually my wife's sister said, you can have my car, but here's the thing, you got to go drive down to San Diego, she used to live down here in La Mesa, and said, Um, here's the address, you can, here's the keys, you can have my car, but you have to pay for all the parking tickets that are probably on it. (laughs) And I was like, that's fine. So for like $220 paid to the city of San Diego, I got a car. (laughs) But have any of you ever had a car that if someone wanted to borrow it, you had to give them a list of how to drive it? Like, okay, when the light turns green, you can't push the accelerator all the way down or you'll die. So you got to go slow. And then if you're turning a corner, it'll turn corners, but if you're turning to the left, be careful because it's a little bit cracked on the right side, and I think the tire's going to fall off one of these days. So you just got to, and then um, you can only go in and out through the passenger door because the other ones are broken. (laughs) That was that car. And you know the beautiful California sunspots on the top? You know, that car, it was a gray car, but the top was white. It was a two-tone because of the sun. Now, you know, so it had all that going. Now, we, I picked up that car and moved to Mission Viejo. And for a while, I used to drive down those streets thinking, like, one of these things is not like the others. You know? <laughs> and it was very easy to, to you know, even park at the church I worked at and look around like, man, this, this car just does not fit in with everyone else. And that subtlety of that comparison can creep in. It's really subtle to say, man, if only, I don't even need a great car, just one that I can go out through the driver's door would be fantastic. (laughs) But then you think, like, maybe there's someone who's riding his bike looking at me like, man, if only I could have a car that moved. You see, so what comparison does is it makes us ungrateful for what we have, because we're looking at what we don't have. And so I think that's one of the forms of greed. That's why it's mentioned in, in the Ten Commandments. Another one, uh, uh, this one, I don't know really how to classify it. I call it like a- abundance or even hoarding. Someone you like to collect a lot of something. And, and for some of you, it might be stuff. It might be have, you have a great collection of, of maybe even cars. Or you have a great collection of, I don't know what it, it might be. Some of you, it is your, your retirement nest egg. And you got to your goal. Then you said, what if we got even bigger? And it's this desire to just have more and more and more, even beyond what you need. I, I think of even that. I was talking with some guys from my life group this week, and we were remembering the days of Columbia House Records. Um, now, some of you guys have no idea what I'm talking about. But with tapes, you used to get 12 tapes for a penny. Come on, any of my people out there, you know what I'm talking about? That's right. So you get 12 tapes, uh, music. Tapes were what they recorded music on. And... and <laughs> And uh, you could get 12 for a penny, and then you just had to buy like eight more in the next two years or something. And then you cancel your subscription and get 12 more, right? You just, that's how you, but I used to love getting that box of new tapes because I'm like, my collection's getting bigger. <laughs> you know, and often it was like you have one that you just knew one song you heard on the radio once, so you bought it because you had to listen to that one song. You couldn't download one song at a time. You had to go with this. So, but, but I, I used to love to see that collection getting bigger. And so I know even me, who I feel like I'm a simple person, it's so easy to say, like, oh, how about just a little bit more? Doesn't that look a little bit ba- better? Just a little bigger. So one of those, and this one I think is, is the opposite of it, is that contentment. We, we miss out on contentment when we're always trying to gather, always wanting more. And I'm not saying don't be wise and don't have savings and all of this, but it's interesting that we want more than we need often. And when we keep wanting more and more, we miss out on contentment. The other uh, one is fulfillment. When we become very materialistic, um, this is one is rooted in that stuff brings happiness. Now, most of you here would never say stuff brings me happiness. I would never say that. But it's interesting how sometimes I think maybe I could be more fulfilled with stuff. And I don't think that logically, but I know it plays out. How about this? You're at the gas station, you're pumping your gas, and you look in the window of most gas stations, and they have these um, red digital letters in the window, and it tells you how much money the lottery is up to. Now, you, you look at that, and I look at like $450 million, and then my mind starts going, right? And I'm not just like, man, that would be nice, 450000000 million, that'd be cool. Um, I could have a car that has a driver's side that opens, you know, or whatever. <laughs> I don't have that car anymore, by the way. But you start thinking that way. But I even take it farther. I think, well, let's see, if you pay out in lump sum, you only get this much. And then after taxes, I'll get it down to like, okay, I have $110 million. Not as nice, but what can I do with that? <laughs> and then I start like spending my $110 million, And in my mind, I'm like, okay, I, property taxes are going to be that much. So I got to save this much. And if I invest it, I'll have, anyone, no, don't have to confess this. This is bad if you're doing this, come on. But it's interesting how much that daydream, I can let myself keep wandering. Now, at first, it's not a big deal, but it's so easy then to start telling myself a lie or revealing that there's a lie I believe that that might actually bring more fulfillment. Now, I keep telling the Lord, if you want to test me on it, I'm willing, you know, (laughs) but here's the thing. I don't think that I'm materialistic, but when I start going down there, I realize Am I not finding all my fulfillment in what God has given me in the life I have? Do I think it's somewhere else? And it would be very easy for us to spend all morning reading quotes of celebrities who tell us that success and money did not bring them the fulfillment they wanted in life. But that's another subtle form of greed that sneaks in there. When I get this, I'll be satisfied. That's why Jesus ends or begins this parable and says, Life is not found in the surpluses that these desires produce. Life is not found in the surpluses that these desires produce. That's a general principle he begins with. Now, let's get into the actual parable now. So he says, this is all about the different forms of greed that pop up in our life, that lead us away from contentment, gratefulness, and fulfillment, that lead us away from the things that we should be finding in Christ, in the life that he's given us. So Jesus then tells a parable. He says, the land of a rich man was very productive. Now notice, This is the land of a rich man. He's not condemning the man for being rich. He's not condemning the man for having land or having barns or having stuff at all. That's not the point. The setting is the land of the rich man was very productive. Now I want you to notice something in here. And this is part of the first century culture and even to this day of a Jewish thought is the land was very productive. Now to a farmer the land being productive wasn't because they were such a great farmer. It's because God blessed them that year with the right amount of rain and the right amount of sun. The weather was good and just right for producing an abundant crop. See, Jesus didn't say the man and his workers went out and produced an abundant harvest. This man was really diligent and worked hard and look at his his harvest. He said the land of a rich man was very productive this year, had an abundant harvest. In a Jewish mindset, this means God blessed him that year. Blessed him with abundance. In Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, it's a big part of of this mindset, is the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So to understand this parable, you need to know, it begins with this idea that everything is from God in the first place. So the earth is the Lord and everything in it. So he has been given something from God. Now we're going to see on the other end of this parable, something is taken from him by God. So here's the the progression. So um, goods have been given. Now he's facing a problem. He began to reason with himself, saying, what should I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and I'll store my grain for my goods. I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for you. Come, eat, drink, and be merry. Rejoice. Notice what happens in these middle verses, these three verses. He faces this dilemma, and now he's reasoning with himself. (laughs) Again, from a first century perspective, wisdom is found in many counselors. When you're making a big decision, it was common and customary to take it to your family, to take it to the the wise men, to take it to others, not to take it to yourself. If you are finding your greatest counselor and the most wisdom you can find in yourself, you might want to check that. Because here is the folly of this guy. Here is he is left by himself. In Isaiah chapter five, verse eight, it says, woe to you who add house to house and field to field. In other words, acquiring more and more and more and now you find yourself alone. What we have is a picture of this guy who has acquiring so much stuff that he's reasoning with himself and notice the word he uses quite a bit. What am I gonna do with my crops and my barn And all my stuff, I'll build more. For who? For me. So at the heart of who this guy is, it's everything is about himself. And the only one left there is himself. He's alone. So his problem was, what do I do with all my stuff? His plan was, I will build bigger barns. I will make room for more of my stuff because I love me some me, is what he's saying here. That's what it's all about. And now the result, he thinks, I'll relax, I'll drink, and I'll enjoy. See, this person in this parable believes that he finds the greatest satisfaction in life is in eating and drinking and rejoicing. He feels like that's the end goal. Now, I love good food, I love good drinks, and I love just hanging out. We had a great time with some friends last night at a, at a, a party, just enjoying company with some other people. I'm like, this is good. I don't mind that, but if our, you think the greatest satisfaction in life is just eating and drinking and rejoicing, you're always going to be missing out because we are made for relationship with the Creator God. And anything apart from that relationship with the Creator God is going to fall short. And so this man is falling short. He's finding rest in his stuff. I love how Saint Augustine once said it. He said, "This is my." Uh, My soul is restless until it rests in thee. You see, we can think, we'll find rest in all of the things that life produces, but we are restless until we rest in God. So he found his solution, and now Jesus said the next thing is, but God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own everything that you've prepared? In other words, he who dies with the most stuff still dies. There's an old uh, Jewish parable, It's, it's uh, two men are talking and they're talking about one who died with great wealth, had millions of dollars, and someone said, hey, how much did this guy leave behind? And the other one said, everything. <laughs> See, the point is, here, of this is he gained, stored up all this stuff, and God says, you fool, you fool, tonight your soul is required of you. And this is language of repaying a loan. Which then leads to another um, Hebraic thought, is your life is on loan from God. So in this parable, the language that Jesus uses is actually, that night you have to repay your loan to God, which is your soul. (laughs) It was on loan. It was borrowed time. So, then he ends with one more general principle. He says this, the very last verse. And so this is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now I got to thinking about that. What does that really mean, not rich towards God? Does that mean that this is the person who saves money but doesn't give all their money away? Or isn't very rich? I mean, God doesn't need our stuff, right? And so what is he really talking about here? And I have a couple thoughts. One, uh, if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17 through 19, and I have this on the screen for you. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says this, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of the riches. So, again, there's no instruction here to say, don't be rich. It just says, don't fix your hope on the uncertainty of these things, but fix your hope on God. So the first thing here we see is fix our hope on God, not on your stuff, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So remember, Your stuff is coming from him in the first place. Everything's on loan. The earth is a Lord's and everything in it. So fix your hope on God. Rest and rejoice that he's the one who's providing this. Then, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. So here, Jesus says, your life is not found in the abundance of what your desires produce. Paul, when writing to Timothy, says you will find real life when you find this posture towards God, that you're not finding your hope and your foundation and your stuff, but it allows you to be generous, to do good works. And by the way, this, as I started, is not all about money. Uh, one thing I often talk about, uh, my wife and I talk about a lot, is that I feel like, the two things we all have more of than we want to admit is time and money. And, and isn't it a, a thing in our culture where we like to say, like it's a badge of honor to be busy? We were just talking about this this last week. Where if someone says, hey, how are you doing? Like, oh, I'm really busy. As if that's a good thing, to always be so busy you have no margin, right? But so, I, in fact, I was convicted of that a few years ago. So now even when I'm busy, if someone's like, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm fine, <clears throat> you know. But we almost wear that like being busy is good. But I, I found that, We often think that I just don't have any, I just don't have the time, I don't have the capacity to help. I don't have any more I can give. Now, we don't want to burn ourselves out and spread yourself so thin that you're living for, you you know, you're just becoming embittered and stuff like that. But what I found is most of us have more time and money to be generous with. We have more, and, and it might even not be money, but it might be your stuff. I feel like from the beginning of our marriage, we kind of have had a posture of giving first to our church. It's been something that we've always done, and that's been kind of easy to grow into that because it's always been a part of our posture. But sometimes with my stuff, I'm less generous. It doesn't make sense. I can be generous with my money, but if someone wants to borrow some of my stuff, it's like, oh, okay, maybe. You know, I I have a truck. I I shouldn't have told you that, but, you know. (laughs) People who have a truck. Everyone's like, oh, you have a truck. I'm like, yeah, I have a big manly truck, a big full-size bed. They're like, oh, even better, right? Yeah, so someone, and it, it took a while to get to the point, like, yeah, you can borrow the truck, yeah, you can, you know, um, we, we bought an RV a few years ago. It's not even, like, a really nice RV, but it works great, but if someone wanted to borrow that, I'd be like, ah, oh, I don't know, I don't know about that, you can borrow my tent, Make- <laughs> not my new one, you can borrow the old one. And it's funny how even in that sometimes it's so hard to be generous. It's so hard sometimes with the stuff I already have that's already paid for. That's not even like the top of the line. But those are things that sometimes do we have that posture before God. Because really what is at the heart of that is what if, it, what if something goes wrong? What if it breaks? What if I have, you know, what if it's not going to work for me again? And, and it, at the root of that, there's this trust in myself. There's this self-focus in there. And and I'm not saying don't have wisdom and don't have discernment and things like that. That's all part of it. And and by the way, I know some very wealthy people who are some of the most generous, loving, great people you'll ever meet. They're so generous with their stuff. It's an example to me. And I know some people who are economically challenged who are some of the greediest, um, stingiest, not generous people I know. So this is not about the numbers. It's about the heart. And so this morning, what is your heart? You know, as an organization, uh, we kind of want to model this even as an organization, as Seekers Church. So we try to, we have this uh, value, and about 20% of what you give, we use towards um, outreach and projects outside of ourself. Um, it's a value that we have, because we want to model a heart that says we don't want to just be about building bigger barns. There might be times we upgrade things in the facility, and we, we, we don't want to be a dump, right? But we don't always want to just pour into ourselves. So we do have this value to pour outward, because we, we want to model it as a corporate family. of We want to be generous, too. And that's why we care about our community. That's why we have these Love Encinitas initiatives, that we can model what it looks like to look outside ourselves, Uh, We actually have a new project that we're starting uh, that kind of is coming off of our tutoring project in Ocean Elementary, but we're starting it that's uh, coming up this fall, and it's called Casa de Amistad, and I want to invite Nicole Mione on up to share with us a little more about it. There you are on that side. And uh, to let us know a little bit about what this is. So this is Nicole. Hi, Nicole. Um, Tell us a little bit about what is Casa de Amistad, and uh, what are we getting ourselves into?
1: Okay, (laughs) great. So Casa de Amistad is a nonprofit organization based in Solana Beach. We're a mentoring and tutoring program for low-income, underserved kids in this coastal North County area. We have about 230 students who come to our site at Solana Beach Presbyterian Church twice a week, and we have about 240 volunteers, high school students, all the way up to... 80. As long as you can drive and get home, you can come to Costa <laughs> Um But this year, after much discernment, we are going to be doing a pilot program, thanks to your initiative here at Seacoast Church, on Wednesdays from 4 to
0: 5.30. Great. And, and tell us a little bit. So this is mostly serving uh, English lan- language learners and, uh, and after-school tutoring. Tell us a little bit. How did you get involved with this?
1: Sure. So my background is in education. I grew up in this, um, in Carmel Valley, and uh, through my, college years, and then in my work, I worked mostly with low-income second language learners, and what I realized is so much of what they need happens outside of the classroom. So Casa de Amistad really is about coming around the whole child and supporting the student and their family. So I feel blessed because I grew up, as I said, in this area, and I know what it takes to be successful at these highly competitive schools. And my job, which I was just telling somebody outside, I love it so much because it really is bringing together very different parts of our community around education and um, making everyone in our community feel successful and being successful.
0: That's great. Yeah. And, and maybe just tell us one thing, y- way you've seen uh, a person or the community impacted through
1: this. So as I mentioned in the last service, I have a lot of stories. This is my 12th year at CASA, um, so it's really grown a lot. But one that I was thinking is actually Dr. Schaefer here in the back. (laughs) Um, We had a, a volunteer who noticed that their student had really, I'll just say it, terrible teeth. I mean, it was bad. And uh, she said, I I need you to do something about his teeth. He's not smiling. He feels very self-conscious. I said, well, we're just a tutoring program. I don't know what we (laughs) could do about that. Um, But I I live here in Encinitas. So I was at opening day for the Encinitas Little League. And Dr. Schaefer just started his practice, orthodontics practice, over here on Santa Fe. And I said, hey, do you do any outreach? I have a a student who needs braces. And really, your sermon totally talks about he and his wife um he said sure i'll take a pro bono case and he hadn't even started his practice yet (laughs) so um it was he came over for a tour at solana beach presbyterian church and then we got to talking and i said well we'll start a pilot program at seacoast and he said i go there i'm really good friends with jonathan (laughs) so it really just shows our our community is really connected and where tutoring is the hook that gets the kids there it's really about being a positive influence in the students life and the whole community coming together to serve those who are are, more vulnerable than others yeah yeah so we're super excited to be here we'll be um on wednesdays from four to five thirty we're working very closely with ocean knoll to identify the students we're going to start with just 20 kids on this site Um, so if you're interested in volunteering or learning more about casadami stud i'm just right over there under the umbrella
0: great well thank you nicole for sharing with us let's (laughs) give her a hand And again, this morning is not supposed to be a sales pitch and a lead up to that. What it really is, is again, what kind of community will we be? Can we be a community that's looking for contentment, fulfillment, gratefulness, satisfaction in our stuff? Or can we be a community of people who say, no, we, we find all that in Christ and therefore now we are free to freely give to freely serve, to freely love. And it might be this program, and it might be your neighborhood, it might be your family. And one thing that I find that we talk a lot about is what is our motivation? Well, the motivation is notice what Christ has done for us. He gave up his throne in heaven. He gave it all up to come down to offer us life. Was it inconvenient? I would say so. (laughs) As he poured out his life on the cross to model the ultimate heart for, for people. And because Christ has done that for us, that can give us the fuel and the motivation to say we want to be those type of people. But it's through what Christ has done, what he's doing in and through us. And we want to be people we, ha- we hold nothing in, where we say like, oh, we're th- everything's yours, God, but this. What is he speaking to you this morning about? And, and so as we end uh, our time, I want to invite the worship team to, to make their way back up. Maybe consider Casa de Almostad. Maybe consider our partnership with Community Resource Center. Maybe it's serving in our kids' ministry. Maybe it's, as I said, you need to look back in your own household, and you need to say, have I been selfish even in my marriage? Have I been selfish the way I treat my kids? Am I greedy with my neighbors? What are areas where God needs to massage and transform and change your heart? We want to be a family of people who are being transformed by the good news of Jesus. And we want to be a movement of people who are uh, part of God's work in changing the world. So consider what he's doing. And and, and I do particularly like this program because it's particularly working with the English language learners. Most of them are first generation. uh, And so you can put all politics aside and say we're here for an opportunity to help break the cycle of poverty in someone's life. And we're here to give an opportunity where kids can hear and be trained in a language they understand, which I don't know about you, but I grew up understanding the language. And so I was, had an advantage over all of them. And so we want to be a church that says, we want to give you that advantage. We want to help you as well. And so if you, you have a heart for that, we'd love to have you participate. Um, but as we end here now in this time, let's just look into our hearts. What is it that God's speaking to you about here this morning? What is it in your heart where you feel like you've been greedy of something? God, this is mine. How is Jesus challenging you this morning? What is he speaking to you about? Let's end our time with one final song. I want to ask you to stand and let's pray as we end this time and this song really is a prayer um, because I don't know about you but I can't just turn on the switch and say, okay, I won't be greedy okay, I'm, that was a good sermon, I'm done, I'm good. Okay, I'll be generous. No, it's a, God has to chip away. We have to learn to trust him. We have to learn that he has fulfillment for us, that there is satisfaction in Christ. And that's a process. So we're gonna finish this song. Pray with me. God, we, we thank you for this time. And Lord, we confess that, Lord, we, we need the strength to have faith to believe that you're enough. Lord, we need the strength to have faith to trust that all that we acquire is not just—it's it's not just for us. It's on loan from you. It's a gift. And God, so give us the wisdom and how to love the way you loved. Give us the strength and how to serve the way you served. And Lord, let it be all about because of what you have done—not to earn anything, not to prove anything, not to give anything back because you deserve something back, but Lord, because of what you've done and how we're changed, Lord, would you speak to us? So we give you this time now, Lord, and and as our prayer to you, Lord, give us the faith that we need to trust you.